Welcome to Grand Rounds with Cascade. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Shaw. So the idea for today's podcast was ignited by just being a mom. I have two teens who are both really struggling in their own ways with what's going on today in the world. Quarantine, loss of connection, their loss of guardrails and structure, and so much confusion as to what's next for them in their lives. It's been really hard to watch. And it's so challenging, I find, to hold space for our kids, allowing them to be where they are in the moment. And I find myself struggling with it like many of us. My kids will be in this really sad and withdrawn place, and I'll find myself trying to pull them out of it, trying to fix it. And this rarely leads to anything beneficial, and in many cases makes them shut down more. I've also noticed, as many of you have, that my kids vacillate between being lethargic and down, to being engaged and hopeful, and then at times being somewhere in the middle. It definitely isn't a one-way trajectory. So how do we help our kids navigate all of this fear and pain, sadness and newness, and how do we do this in a way that honors where they are in the process, allowing them to feel validated and valued? I thought I would reach out to my favorite person to answer these questions for us. And today, we're going to talk to Dr. Holly Caskell, licensed clinical psychologist with over 20 years of experience treating kids, adults, families for a wide variety of emotional and mental health issues, and really guiding them towards healthier behaviors and healthier communication patterns. Holly's known me since I started my practice here in Issaquah many years ago. We were both renting space out of the same yoga studio and since then have referred patients back and forth. She owns and is clinical director for Lightheart Psychological Associates in Redmond, Washington, and employs over 40 other mental health professionals now that she's personally mentored and trained. The pandemic has also forced her out of her comfort zone a bit, and she can be found on Instagram at Doc Holly Talks with regular videos discussing a variety of topics, and some also with her teens as co-hosts. So today, Dr. Caskell is going to guide us through the three stages of functioning during a pandemic or really any crisis, which are survival, stability, and growth. She explains how these stages move and change and how they might present differently for both adults and kids. Most importantly, also how to meet our kids where they are in this process in a loving and compassionate way. And how do we do all this when we ourselves may barely be functioning or are in our own emotional black hole? She talks about that too. So buckle up for a fascinating discussion because here we go. I'm here with Dr. Holly Caskell uh, from Lightheart Associates, and we're going to talk today about a lot of things, I hope. Um, yep. how's, how's it going? I haven't talked to you or seen you in a long time. How have you been? I know. I, first of all, I'm just so happy to be having this conversation with you and uh, appreciate the opportunity. So uh, things have been good. I mean, Lightheart has mostly stayed pretty busy during the pandemic in that all of our therapists are doing telehealth. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I you know, imagine. it's funny. I've seen a, a real decrease in the number of clients seeking services, though, which I think is really surpri- surprising to me because this is such an incredibly stressful time for mm-hmm. so many people. And so I was just assuming like people will be reaching out for therapy, but I think some of the pressures of staying at home and being at home with your family, with your kids, and not necessarily having. Uh, private space to do therapy via video, I think has maybe deterred some people. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And do you guys take yeah. insurance? I can't remember. You're you don't take insurance, do you? Oh, we do. Yeah, oh, we do. Like ninety eight percent of our practice is private insurance. Yeah. I see. Okay. Well, yeah. I wonder too. A lot of people have lost their jobs and lost their insurance. Maybe that could be affecting things as well. Some of, yeah. Yeah. Well, so you know, we have we're dealing with a lot of stress, and I, I think you and I obviously see a different different types of patients, but. You know, I wanted to bring you in today because I am seeing such an enormous number of patients dealing with an incredible amount of stress, um, obviously, but kids especially, you know, and I, I'm sense you and I are both moms and we both have yeah. teens and so really sensitive to um, how teens are dealing with uh, the pandemic. I mean, I care obviously about how everyone is dealing with it, but really wanted to focus today a little bit on um, what you're in your experience with your uh, teen patients, what you're noticing is kind of some common themes in how they're dealing with all of this and, um, and how you're kind of helping them reframe some of what's going on. Yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit about kind of the way that this new normal is affecting uh, teens, but also kids and parents because yeah. You know, they're, it's, it's having an impact on all of us. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that I'd like to start is to first talk about what I'm seeing as far as how people are functioning in general, mm -hmm. because I think that it will help inform sort of what to do based on how are you functioning? How mm -hmm. are you handling this? And sometimes, you know, kids and parents might be in different, different modes of functioning, you know? And so having a sense of where am I, where is my kid um, functioning, how are they doing right now is a really great place to start. So what I'm, what I'm proposing is that there are three stages of functioning that we're all in. Um, and these stages are kind of like, I would say kind of like the stages of grief mm -hmm. in that grief is something that has some discernible symptoms and stages, but they don't necessarily come linear in a linear fashion. You know, it's not like you start with shock and then you go into denial and then you go into bargaining and then you go into depression and then anger and so forth and so on. It's more like these are things you might experience for some period of time, maybe a day, maybe an entire week, maybe the entire time you're stuck in this one phase. But for the most of us, we are having some days in one phase and some days in another, and it just kind of is sometimes unpredictable. And so having some compassion and patience and grace for ourselves to just accept like, this is where I'm at today, or this is where my kid's at today, um, I think is a really great and a very important mindset to have. And so those three stages of functioning in this pandemic for us are um, survival mode, stability, and growth. Mm -hmm. So survival mode is the place where I think all of us have probably found ourselves at one point or another during the pandemic. And some of us have felt ourselves stuck in this place. Survival mode is when we are feeling lost. We're feeling confused. We may be experiencing anxiety and depression that is debilitating. So for example, uh, total inability to sleep or eat or the opposite, which is I can't get out of bed I don't see the point of getting out of bed. I can't, um, you know, what's the point of being awake <laughs> right now? Right. Um, and, or, you know, uh, eating a lot, having an appetite that is just, it seems kind of nonstop. Like those are symptoms of depression that we are seeing in survival mode for people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, difficulty with personal hygiene, like no motivation, 
uh, to shower, to wear regular clothing, you know, for, yeah. for those, those of us in the, you know, in the woman world, you know, what, what's the point of a bra? Like we don't even know anymore, you know? <laughs> or pants. Everything is Zoom which, these days. Yeah, Why even wear clothes? Can be, which can be problematic for these Zoom calls <laughs> at times, you know, if we're not, we're not fully dressed right. but as we've seen. Yeah. Um, but the complete profound loss of what feels like normal for us can cause us to fall into the survival mode where we just have both the mindset and the physical symptoms of depression and anxiety where we feel paralyzed, we feel stuck, we're having a hard time even doing the basic functioning. You know, it's hard to work, it's hard to, um, and if you have kids at home, being stuck in survival mode is really difficult because it's hard for you to care for your kids and your kids are in your home with you 24 seven, which means they need your attention. They need your guidance. They need to be cared for. So it's very easy to find yourself in a mode where you're, where your depression and anxiety or your feelings of stuckness are causing you to either be very, either to be neglectful of your kids or to have a higher level of conflict Mm -hmm. with your kids or with your spouse or your partner, you know, the people in your home. And I, Um, just to stop you there, one of the things too, that I, that I'm sensitive to in my own life with my kids, but I know my patients are too, is that, you know, you're talking about this being kind of fluid stages where you can kind of come in and out of, of stages as you move through this process and that kids and parents can be on different pages in different stages at different times. And I, I feel like our kids are really taking a lot of cues from us as far as how yeah. to deal with this. And yeah. when, when you're talking about, as an adult, a caregiver being in that stage where you're sort of in, the, in that denial stage or that uh, uh, survival, mode. survival mode stage, and your child isn't at that point, it's difficult to be modeling I mean, you want to model sort of some healthy behaviors, but at the same time, you want to be authentic and genuine to how you really feel, because that's also teaching our children how to be authentic and genuine and holding space for how they feel. That's a really, that's a conflicting place to be. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. That role modeling for our kids, emotional intelligence and emotional skills is essential. It's an essential parenting skill. Mm -hmm. So, and it doesn't, matter necessarily what stage you're in as a parent you're 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 able to model emotion skills even if you are in survival mode mm-hmm. and the way that you would do that is to say you know hey guys i'm sure you've noticed that i'm spending a lot of time in bed or mm-hmm. you might have noticed that my mood has been really low or that you've seen me crying or you know i've been really irritable and i want to just acknowledge that for you that i haven't been myself Mm-hmm. And I want to also reassure you that I will be okay, that I'm really struggling right now, that this pandemic has really affected me. I feel really sad. You know, I feel um, kind of confused and heartbroken about what's happening. And it's really knocked me off my game. You know, mm-hmm. I was especially, I think we're finding people in survival mode more so even are the people who were doing really well before. The people who, you know, were working out regularly, who were, you know, having a lot of balance in their lives, who were very productive, who were feeling a lot of confidence, who were feeling um, kind of like, I've got, I've got it together. You know, I figured it out. I've got life. We're on a roll. My kids are doing this. I'm doing that. You know, we've got a rhythm. We've got a routine. 
And then all of a sudden, all of that gets knocked down. And that's a, that's a huge loss. I mean, there is grief in that. And so the depression mm -hmm. and anxiety that we're seeing in survival mode for some of these parents is because they're experiencing the grief of a life that they liked. Yeah. A life that was working for them. Mm -hmm. They felt successful. Their kids were doing well in school, maybe, you know, everybody was having extracurriculars. I mean, <laughs> you know, nobody's perfect, but if you were, you know, like the 80-20 rule, if you were 80% killing it, you know, that's an amazing place to be. Oh, yeah. And so, you get that momentum moving forward with it. And then it's, it's almost kind of like when you're really in the zone with that 80%, you almost yeah. on some level in order to stay in the zone, don't even recognize in the periphery that there could be a 20%. So yeah. those yeah. people are much more intense, I guess. And when they get knocked off their game, it's even harder, right. I guess, what you're saying is to bounce right. back, right? There's a greater sense of loss, right. you know, um, mm -hmm. because they, they were functioning, they were higher functioning. And right now, all of the ways in which they functioned have been taken away from them. Yeah. Um, so there's a greater adjustment. I found that people who were really struggling, like my clients who were really stuck, you know, depressed, not able to leave their home, um, struggling to find a, you know, like maybe the, the young adult population where they were having a hard time finding, like, what do I want to do with my life? The amount of pressure that they were feeling was crippling to those people. And now in the pandemic, that pressure has been taken off of them. You know, they're okay. now given some time to, to stay at home and to really not look for a job and to not make any major decisions about their lives. And so the pressure being taken off has given them the freedom to think, oh my gosh, I, I can really spend some time percolating on this, marinating in this and journaling. Or So there are those people who were stuck in survival mode before are now finding themselves in growth mode. This is an opportunity. They're seeing it as an opportunity. The pressure yeah. is off. They're not suffering as much. And so all of a the sudden they're finding themselves, they're, they're having creativity, they're finding themselves to be more productive mm -hmm. in whatever tasks they're setting for themselves because they aren't crippled by this anxiety and depression. So I think it's really interesting how this pandemic has flipped all of us really on our heads in a sense. But coming back to the question of kids, you know, c communicating authentically with kids, here's what I'm suffering and I'm gonna be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, we are going to be okay. Our society is gonna, you know, we're obviously going through some major changes. There's a lot of conflict going on in our community around some of these issues and a lot of people are suffering. A lot of people are having financial difficulties, but in the end, we're gonna be okay. We're gonna be stronger, yeah. we're gonna learn from it. You know, and so that's how I feel too as a parent with you. I want you to know we as a family are gonna be okay. And that's no so important for us as adults to share with our kids because I think as from an adult standpoint, we've had enough life under our belt that we know that, and I hate to use this cliche, but it's true, hills and valleys, right? I mean, yes. it, you're always going to be okay, but kids just, I, you know, I mean, you would know better developmentally or just they haven't had enough life behind them that I think that's a big problem. That's what I hear from my own kids is, are we going to be okay? Is it yeah. going to be okay? They don't really know that. Yeah, and, the, and you really, as the parent, are the only person that they're looking to to know that they're going to be okay. Yeah, right. So as a parent, it, it doesn't matter what their friends say. It doesn't matter what they see out on social media or whatever. What you say and how you act is the biggest, most important factor mm. for your kids. And so, and, and, and I think the thing, that the, the mistake that parents sometimes make is that they feel like they have to hide their suffering. Mm -hmm. They have to hide their emotion. They can't be upset in front of their kids. They can't cry in front of their kids. They can't, you know, talk about their, their sadness or their anxiety in front of their kids. And that's not true. 
because that's inauthentic. Right. And kids, kids are wise. Kids, mm-hmm. You know, we tend to lose our wisdom over time if we, you know, <laughs> you know, practice too much denial or avoidance or dismissal, or we have a lot of invalidation in our lives, then we lose that wisdom. But mm-hmm. our kids have it naturally. So if we, if we acknowledge, yes, there is a vibe here. The vibe is sadness, you know, or yes, you know, I am not fully myself right now, mm-hmm. but that's okay. I can mm-hmm. suffer. I can get knocked down. Um, I'm resilient. Yeah. And I'm going to be okay. Like hills and valleys, you know, I mean, I, that's a great term. And I use the term roller coaster, Mm -hmm. you know, we're on a roller coaster all the time in life. And right now is just a really big, it's one of those really big drops, you know, where our stomach lurches and it doesn't feel good, but we are still on the track and we are going to keep moving forward. So having that empathy um, and acknowledgement and honesty with our kids with the reassurance that goes along with it that's that's emotional education that's role modeling that's really high quality so in the so, survival mode you know a lot of my parents and you know I find myself trying to do this too I think as a parent we just want to fix things we want to fix it we want to make it better and this is part of the big problem right now is that we don't know we can't we can't fix this and Absolutely. so when we see our kids really struggling in survival mode, um, I think it, it may be for a lot of people really natural to want to, you know, um, just try to talk them, quote unquote, out of it. You know, everything will be okay. Everything will be better. You know, get up, brush your teeth. Let's go. Let's do this. You know, how do you, um, what's the right approach with kids? Is it, is it really just about kind of reflective listening and being there for them and just allowing them to sort of unravel and not try to patch it back together and fix it? Or is it really about trying to get their mind um, onto the next stage? I mean, in, intuitively to me, it feels more natural to just let kids get there when they're going to get there instead of trying to, to change it or fix it or push it. So I think that's a great question. And I think you're right on uh, with your perspective because I I want to say two things about your question. The first is I want to mention what stability mode is because we want to get ourselves into stability mode if we're stuck in crisis mode. And that's the next stage, right? We've got stage is stability Mm -hmm. mode, right? Stability and it's stability means that I am not in crisis. I am um, in, I'm having more balance in my life. I'm not necessarily productive or learning or growing as a human being right now, but I am not falling apart either. And so the ways that we can get ourselves into stability mode, if you're stuck in crisis mode, is to in is to try to set up structure in your lives. So routine of some kind, like trying to get up out of bed by a certain time, taking a shower every day or every other day, changing your clothes every day, um, making mm-hmm. sure you brush your teeth every day, trying to have three meals a day, mm-hmm. trying to um, maybe set one small goal for yourself every day. Maybe that one goal is um, today I'm going to sweep the kitchen floor or today I'm going to check my email. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, today I'm going to go outside for a walk. Right. So even setting one small goal for yourself is a, it is a reasonable stability mode mindset. You know, I don't think that making a to-do list of 10 things and then feeling, you know, they don't have the energy to get to it and then beating yourself up because you didn't cross anything off your to-do list. I don't think that's necessarily a healthy mindset right now if Mm -hmm. you don't have that kind of energy. Mm -hmm. But getting up at a certain time, getting in bed at night by a certain time, you know, having three meals a day. So having that 
structure and routine for everyone in the family is incredibly important. It's the most important ingredient for stability mode. Mm-hmm. So, but but I think sometimes our uh, the parents who, especially, and I have to admit, I was one of these parents in the very beginning of all of this when my kids weren't in school. I had a routine. <laughs> I had a calendar that was posted. I had family rules. I had chores. I had posted <laughs> notes before. I mean, I was like, wow. I was like Instagram mom, you know, with like <laughs> all of my detailed, you know, structure. And honestly, for, you know, it involved homework time and exercise time and fresh air time and chore time and quiet time. And, wow. You know, like, I am time. amazed. I mean, had like everything. And at first, my kids were really into it. I think they really liked that amount of structure and it helped me too. Uh, but it also required that I put my job aside for a couple of days a week, you know, yeah. to to really focus on being in that routine with them. And that was unsustainable mm-hmm. because I'm a business owner, you know, yeah. and I'm a, I'm a working parent. So I couldn't just be sitting with my kids all day long, you know, bonding with them and supporting them and keeping them on task. So it was fun. It was interesting experiment, but it was not sustainable. So I know that in stability mode, we don't have to be perfect like that. You know, like again, 80-20 rule always, always is important, but having some kind of, some kind of boundaries, some kind of guardrails around um, how we, how we function in a day is really important. That's something that's been taken away from us. Like when we had, when we had to go to school, those guardrails were there. We had to be there at a certain time when we were, you know, considered late. Um, yeah, or we had to drive to our office. We had to mm-hmm. figure out, you know, when we're, what time we're going to leave based on traffic, you know, that, those kinds of things. Right now, mm-hmm. we don't have any of those kinds of guardrails. So having that instability mode is really important. Um, and when you're asking about how do, you re, how do we interact with our kids when they're either, you know, how do we help them stay in stability mode or get in stability mode? Well, the, the validation that we can offer them is most important. So parents are oftentimes, people in general, all of us, are oftentimes what I call accidentally invalidating, right? Yeah. So so we out of out of love have a desire to fix and help and change our kids' negative or painful experiences, right? So when our kid comes to us and says, you know, I'm just I'm just so frustrated with this homework. I hate school. I don't want anything to do with this. I hate being on the computer. Like I can't do it. And maybe they're crying and they're just saying like, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I hate it. You know, as a parent, we have this feeling of, oh my gosh, I hate to see my child cry, but also I'm a little, I'm a little worried right now that what, well, they can't not do their schoolwork. Like they can't fail. Like this is a, this is a potential anxiety provoking thing for my kid to say to me, but also I want to help them. Mm -hmm. I want to help them be successful. I want to help them know that they can do it. And so our tendency is to jump right into problem solving mode and to say, oh, don't feel that way or stop crying. It's going to be okay. Or it's not that big of a deal. You know, Um, I mean, even the best of intentions are causing us to say things initially when our kids come to us that are invalidating because that message of don't cry or it's not that big of a deal is minimizing, it's invalidating. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're, we're basically crossing into our kids' emotional boundaries and telling them their feelings aren't valid and that they are allowed to feel that way and that it's a problem for me. It's causing me stress to see you under stress. You're like, oh, I'm afraid, I'm anxious because you're having emotions. You know? <laughs> not necessarily the kind of um, reaction that is most effective mm-hmm. with our kids. Mm-hmm. So in, instead of being what this accidental invalidation, I want parents to think about the, the, the very first step 
So step one, action number one, when our kids come to us with any kind of concern is to validate their emotion. It is to hear the emotion in the message and not get caught initially in the content of what they're talking about. So I hate school is a content. Oh, you don't hate school. That's silly. <laughs> don't say that. You know, yeah. that's, that's, that's me talking about the content. That's me arguing with them about something that they said. Um, and that, that is what we're missing there is the, the emotion that's underlying. So if my kid comes to me and says, I hate school, I'm going to say, whoa, you seem upset. Tell me what's going on. So I'm going to, I'm going to acknowledge emotion. And then I'm going to ask questions that allow for, um, open-ended discussion about the emotion. Like I, I, I can't solve the problem because I don't really know what the problem is mm -hmm. yet. I haven't asked enough questions. I haven't spent time showing curiosity. I haven't given empathy and validation to the emotion because right now when my kid comes to me and they say, I hate school, the emotion that they're feeling is like a level 10 out of 10, right? Yeah. They've, they've, they've hit the wall. They're crying. They're, they're ready to give up. They're in like, they're in crisis mode emotionally. And so in order to solve the problem, first of all, the kid is going to be the one who's going to solve the problem. Like the individual who has the problem is the one who has the solution. Oh, absolutely. All right. So we want to help our kids come up with their own solutions, but they cannot think through the problem until their emotion is back down to at least a six or lower. Just think about it that way. Mm -hmm. Like I have to help my kid get from a 10 to a six in the intensity of their feelings so that they can then talk through the problem with me and I can help reflect that for them. Mm -hmm. So how you do that is you address the emotion directly and you say, wow, you're really upset right now. Tell me what's going on. What happened? What are you feeling? What do you think is causing that feeling? Um, you know, tell me more. Wow, that seems really tough. You seem stressed out. I want to help you. It's like hitting a valve and just kind of letting all the air out. Yes. It's taking the power out of the, out of the feeling so that it kind of shrivels up a little bit and is easier to navigate, sounds like. Right. So I talk about emotion as energy. Mm -hmm. And emotion is energy in our bodies, just like any other biological process that we have, you know. Yeah. Um, and so when it hits this really kind of intense, like a balloon that's about to pop level of emotion, we have to, like you said, release the valve. We have to let some of the air out of the balloon in order for it to, to, to allow their cerebral brain processes to, to re-engage because the amygdala, you know, deep, the deep, deep brain area is like on fire and no other parts of the brain are able to really function. Mm -hmm. So once we start talking about our emotion or writing about our emotion, like, you know, functional MRIs are showing us that using the thought process of talking about expressing um, journaling about emotion helps dissipate that energy from the amygdala. So the emotion goes from a 10 down to, you know, the five or six level. So we're no longer in survival mode, the fight or flight response because intense emotion puts us in fight or flight response every time. So we have to help our kids do that. And if we invalidate them, if we go right into your feelings are stupid, <laughs> that adds air to the balloon, really. I mean, it just and is upsetting. They're popping their balloon. We're yeah. like causing, we're, we're like literally kicking them while they're down, rubbing salt in their wounds, making them feel ashamed of their emotion. And so emotion skills go out the window yeah. for kids. They don't learn how to acknowledge their feelings, talk about them and take themselves down from a 10 to a six and then solve their own problems. If we don't help them do that, if we don't reflect back, okay, let's, let's notice the feeling first. And then we can get to the problem. Like yeah. there is a solution here. And I know that we are going to solve this together. But first, tell me about, 
tell me about the feelings. Tell me about why you're feeling this way. What's causing this? What triggered this for you? Was it your math homework? Is there something about that, that computer having trouble? Mm-hmm. You know, did your teacher say something that upset you? You know, do you have something else going on? Was it that argument you heard between me and dad this morning? <laughs> I mean, like there could be any number of things that might be contributing to that level of emotion and you wouldn't have any idea what that is without doing some digging. Right, absolutely. And that takes time. And going back to sort of parents in survival mode, it's really hard sometimes when we're barely hanging in there ourselves to give our kids the time. Yeah, oh yeah. Because if you're in survival mode as a parent, you might be at a 10 yourself when your kid comes to you in 10 mode. And how do you respond (laughs) effectively and empathically when you can't even necessarily do that for yourself? Well, I think that there's a lot that that may be why there's a lot of drinking going on. I'm finding a lot of of drinking. And I think that that for a lot of parents is taking them down from a 10 to an eight, a 10 to a seven so that they can deal with all of the other things they're trying to deal with their children included. I'm assuming. I know, but self, um, you know, those emotions are not being effectively dealt with. They're just being pushed in the closet, which means that that when the next time they have an emotion, that closet starts to overflow again on them because it's all piled up. So instead of being a 10 next time, they're a 12. Yeah, absolutely. It does not fix the problem. It's like Mount Vesuvius waiting to blow when Mm -hmm. you're drinking and stuffing your emotions. Right, right. Plus it's self-abuse, you know? I mean, mean, drinking isn't always self-abuse, but drinking to manage your emotions is a type of self-abuse. Yeah, I think that's true. And I also, you know, and I also know that a lot of people who are, a lot of my patients who are doing a lot of drinking to deal with this don't feel like they have the ability to have anyone talk them down. You know, we need to be there for our kids to get them from a 10 to a 6, but sometimes we need someone to help us get from a 10 to a 6. Absolutely. A lot of adults don't have that. They may have a partner who doesn't, isn't at the same emotional intelligence or they may, you know, and so I'm not saying the drinking is okay, but I can see why it happens. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're in survival mode. Yeah, totally. So people do what they have to do in survival mode. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, no judgment, but it's, it's, it's hard to see people suffering. And so, you know, that's a piece of advice then for parents is find someone in your life that you can talk to who, whether it's a friend you can text with or it's a therapist. I mean, you know, we're all doing telehealth. Yes. You know, I mean, if you, if you know of patients who don't have anyone else to talk to, send them to Lightheart. Oh, I do. I do. And I love, I love all of you guys. You guys are fabulous. And therapy is so fabulous. You know, we, we have, there's such a stigma with therapy and I, and I'm always trying to tell my parent, my patients, you know, that just kind of like what you say in your, on your website, you know, with your uh, bio, you know, that, that intelligent, healthy people get therapy. I mean, I think that's how we, um, that's, that's such a, a great thing to be able to do. And, um, I try to encourage it with my patients instead of yeah. them thinking that it makes them, you know, it makes them stupid or it makes them incapable or, and it's, this, and it's it's this fear of being vulnerable, you know, it's yeah. this fear of being vulnerable instead of seeing vulnerability as a strength, it's seeing vulnerability as a weakness. Yeah. And that's, that's really, yeah. I mean, that mindset is so damaging. Yeah. For sure. And that, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Brene Brown's work, but she talks a lot about vulnerability. I'm obsessed with Brene Brown. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm going to send you to her, you know, watching her TED Talks. That's a good place to start. Um, 
but yeah, vulnerability and, and Amy, we, we can also make parallels for people. You know, when you, when you need to, when it comes time to do your taxes, would, do you feel guilty for going to a tax accountant to help you figure that out? You know, when you have a broken leg, do you feel guilty going to the doctor to get that reset? I mean, do you feel like you should be doing that yourself? Is that a sign of weakness that you might need help? I mean, you yeah, know, those are some great points. Thing, Absolutely. Same thing with emotional intelligence. You know, we go to school to improve our academic achievement. We go to school to improve our, you know, IQ, so to speak. But we don't think it's important to go to experts to learn emotional intelligence when emotional intelligence has been shown over and over again in research to be a better predictor of life satisfaction than IQ. EQ is more predictor, more predictable, you know what I'm trying to say. More of a predictor. (laughs) A predictor of success and happiness in life than IQ, so. Oh, that does not surprise me at all. Oh, it's definitely, it's been shown for decades in research, yeah. So then we Um, have the third stage, and the third stage is really acceptance. Well, the third stage is growth is what I'm calling it. And that's because, you know, there, there are definitely, there is such a shift going on in our planet there's a shift in our lives and in every aspect of our lives, you know? Um, and like I said, people who have been really struggling before this have all of a sudden found themselves in a new headspace and, uh, are feeling excited about their self actualization, you know, their self development. So, growth mode and any of us can find ourselves in it. I mean, I personally have been in all three of these stages in and out mm-hmm. constantly throughout oh, yeah. the last nine Me weeks. Too. You know, I have been in survival mode. I have cried and not been able to get out of bed. And I've also been like in my routine, at least I'm taking a walk every day. People like this <laughs> is my thing. Like I'm stable. I, I'm hanging in there, you know, but mm-hmm. I don't know that I can do any more than like two emails today. You know? Yeah. Um, I've had moments where I'm in growth mode. You know, I, all of a sudden during the pandemic started, doing videos on Instagram, which is completely out of my, um, comfort zone. But I love your videos. They're fabulous. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So Doc Holly talks for anyone who's interested is my Instagram. Um, but yeah, so that's completely out of my comfort zone. And yet here I am like pushing myself, finding personal growth. Um, you know, I've had some really valuable conversations with my partner, um, about, our relationship um, and and so for me there's been some relationship growth as well there um, and so I think that there is an opportunity during all of this complete and total shift for us to grow for us to ask really important questions you know we might have a greater awareness of wow you know I'm spending a lot of time at home with my spouse and oh my gosh do we have some problems that we've been avoiding for a long time and maybe we can't avoid them anymore maybe we need to talk about it maybe we need to hash it out maybe we need to start being honest with each other about our issues or maybe we need to start being honest with ourselves about things like for example how am i treating my body what kind of relationship do i have with my body am i abusing my body am i taking good care of it have i given up on myself you know is it time for me to re be engaged? Do I want to live? You know, do I want to have a better life? There's so much um, opportunity for honesty and uh, sort of self-reflection right now. There's more opportunity for reading, for taking on new hobbies, for, you know, endeavoring in creative activities, um, improving relationships. I mean, there's just, I mean, even I've even been able to bond more with my kids, Mm -hmm. right? 
Yeah. They have annoyed me at times, right? I've been like, <laughs> I need some space. You need to go to your room or I'm going to go to my room and don't bother me. Yes, of course. But there's also been just much more time. So I've had more conversations with them. I, you know, one of my, a couple of my daughters have gotten involved in my videos, which has been really fun. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I've had time to connect with my pets more. I mean, there's just been a lot of growth moments for me. And I know that I won't regret those growth moments. And I know that they will be here to stay. You know, um, I've been challenged in ways I've never been challenged before. My business has been challenged where all of a sudden, you know, a whole business model is changing. Oh, um, I know. It's just crazy. Yeah. And the whole school model is changing. Everything is changing. Yeah. And it's yeah. scary so to not know where it's going to land. You know, not knowing what's going to happen is just the unknown. And that sort yeah. of empty unknown space is really scary. Yeah. But but at the same time, it's an opportunity. Yes. We're all in this sort of, we've burned down and now we're rebuilding. And what does that rebuilding look like for us internally, in our social support networks, in our professional careers? I mean, I've, I've talked to people who have decided to quit their jobs to try to do something different because they're like, I, I was too stressed out and now I, I need a change. It's like, this is really causing that. Or people who have lost their jobs are saying, wait a minute, I don't know that I want to just jump right back into that job I was doing before. Maybe I'm ready for something different. So a lot of self-exploration going on for people right now. And so that's growth mode. But we can't stay in growth mode every moment of the day. I mean, I, I find that I'll be two days in survival mode, three days in stability mode and maybe two days in growth mode a week is kind of the rhythm I'm noticing about myself mm -hmm. but again it's a roller coaster it's, it's hills and valleys like you were saying well and it might be like one step forward and a few steps back but eventually you get up the mountain it's just kind of yeah yep. yeah exactly and and I think you know bringing it back to the conversation about kids is really um, valuable and teens in particular because teens do have more independence and they're really in that stage of life that they're trying to find themselves to find their identity their social relationships are so incredibly important. And so they're luckily many of them maintain their social connections via social media and texting. They're, they're kind of more used to using those technologies than we are, I think. Um, but they, they are going to be going in and out of these stages of functioning as well. And as parents, we can't freak out, you know, when they're, when they fall back, we, yeah. we can't, it's so important that we don't get angry with our kids during this time when they are, maybe they're struggling, that we try to have patience and curiosity. I would say curiosity is the number one talent for any parent. <laughs> Tell me more. I want to understand. Rather than, I mean, we have this tendency to assume so much. You know, I'm the adult. I'm the parent. I know I'm the best. authority figure. Yeah. I've done this before. I'm an expert on life, so I'm going to tell you how it is, or I'm going to tell you how it has to be. Or how you have and, to feel about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you how to feel. Um, you know, I know more than you do. I mean, those things might be factually true, that you have more life experience, but you are not inside that kid's head with them. You are not, you are not them, and they have the right to their own point of view. They have the right to their own emotions, to their own process, and if we want to have a long-term, healthy relationship with our kids, we have to learn to relate to them. We have to learn to have curiosity, to get to know them, to understand who they are from their own perspective. And that's really true for, for now, just as much as ever. I love that. The best skill as a parent is curiosity. That's so true. I mean, I think that is just for as a human being, but as a parent, 
Yeah, I mean they're they're just my I just see my teens as big balls of mystery. I mean they oh, both totally. are I mean they have their own mysterious life and their own mysterious friends and their own mysterious feelings <laughs> and I constantly feel like I'm walking around in the dark, you know, like what is oh, happening right. right now? I yeah. have the same experience. How old are your kids again? Uh Miles is uh 15 and Bella is uh 13. She's finishing. Yeah. And you know, she's really she is really 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 social. And, um, you know, she's in cheer and she's just got a bazillion friends and, you know, Miles is, is, uh, he's a little bit more of a loner. And so I do like you're talking, talking about, you know, every kid is going to experience it differently based on what their personality is like in general. And it is, I think it has been a lot harder on her than it has been on him. Yeah. 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 It's possible. Yeah. So, so that is all very fabulous information, Holly. So I have one question for you. What sure. is your favorite book? What are you reading right now? Oh, that is a great question. Thank you for asking because, <laughs> because I am reading uh, Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed. Are you familiar? Oh, I, um, isn't that about how, help, how to help girls get through sort of uh, – yeah, sort of. Yeah, so, so Glennon Doyle was the um, – she was the original creator of Monastery. Do you remember that was one of the first blogs when blogging became a thing? Yeah, I uh, think I do remember that. Like actually, mom blog, you know. Yeah. So she's a famous author uh, and sort of expert in women's empowerment and um, this kind of thing. But what's so interesting about her and this book, Untamed, is basically autobiographical for her. What's so interesting is she went through a massive life shift several years ago in which she, you know, she was married to a man and had two kids, two daughters and a son. Um, and she was this, you know, famous author talking about how to get through life. She'd had a history of struggles like uh, alcoholism, bulimia, some other issues that she had overcome those things when she became a mom. And so that's how come she was writing this blog and she was writing these recovery books. And she hit this moment in life where things like radically shifted for her. She fell in love with a woman. She got married to this woman and now is raising her three kids sort of with the support of her former husband. Um, and she's like shifted her whole mindset about things like women's empowerment and raising her daughters and her son living in our society. And so her book is fascinating and it's literally parallel to my life. I don't know if, oh, wow. if you know this about me, but I left my husband three years ago, four years ago now, um, and I'm in a relationship with a woman. I did not know that about you. Yeah. Well, yeah. we haven't talked in a long time, so we've got a lot yeah. of catching up to do, obviously. Yeah, and I have two, you know, daughters and a son just like her. And so, um, yeah, I mean, my I made a major, major life shift. And wow. for me, that was a huge, huge positive. It was a, it was a, it was a major step towards self-actualization myself. You know, the, the marriage was not a healthy one. It was not a happy one. I was doing it because it was the right thing to do. It was the accepted thing to do. It was the thing that my family would support, you know, all of this. Yeah. I mean, we have beautiful children, but the marriage itself was just not a good one. Um, and I was in denial, you know, I, I, I said, I'm going to do this because that's what I'm supposed to do. You know, I was very selfless in that way. Like yeah. I will be miserable because that's what I'm supposed to do for my kids. And I realized that miserable mom does not equal happy kids. Um, so my relationship with them has shifted, you know, I mean, it was hard. Divorce yeah. is hard on kids, um, but it was the, it was the right thing to do. And I don't regret it, you know, in the, in the slightest. Well, and it's just teaching your children to be their authentic selves. And 
that you know that unconditional love of who you are no matter who you are and that's that's a beautiful lesson to teach and what a fabulous opportunity for them to learn that yeah well it's not easy it's very complicated but i can only imagine it's been the right thing and i have really never been happier so that's a good thing oh i'm so happy (laughs) to hear that so um lightheart associates um you guys now have a whole well you have trained a lot of um, if you can just tell people a little bit about sure. your training, uh, all these other providers and yeah. what your services are. So Lightheart Psychological Associates um, is a group practice of multiple different ki- kinds of mental health services in Redmond, Washington here. Um, we have two clinics now and there are 40 employees. So we have a little over 30 clinicians, including psychotherapists that are master's level therapists, like um, marriage and family therapists, social workers, um, licensed mental health counselors. And, uh, you know, we do couples therapy, family therapy, child adolescent therapy. And we also have a team of psychologists here that do both psychotherapy and psychological and neuropsychological assessments. So we have a lot of assessment that we do anything from uh, referral questions are anything from ADHD to learning disabilities to, you know, personality and emotional mood functioning. Um, we do assessments for autism, both for kids and adults. Um, we do any kind of neuropsych question related to traumatic brain injury, memory functions. Uh, we do assessments for trauma, eating disorders. So we do a lot of stuff here. That's wonderful. Um, we also have several psychiatric prescribers, so uh, psychiatric nurse practitioners who do medication evaluation and management for psychiatric conditions. So oftentimes people are getting their, uh, like say they take an antidepressant, they're getting that from their primary care physician or even you know you a naturopath. Um, but when things sometimes, if that medication isn't really working right or it seems like the mood or anxiety is more complicated mm-hmm. or there may be other kind of questions diagnostically about what might be going on and then referring someone to a psychiatric prescriber who's specifically trained in psychiatric medicine is a good idea. Oh, absolutely. Totally yeah. agree with that. Absolutely. And we have a, we have a new psychiatrist joining us, um, in, you know, at the end of the month and that's exciting. He also works with kids and teens. So we're going to have three to four prescribers and I'm probably recruiting other five or six therapists right now too, because we are growing. We're going to offer telehealth appointments for the foreseeable future forever. You know, we're set up really easily to do telehealth. Um, some of our therapists are continuing to work from home who need to either because they have you know, um, compromised states or they just feel more safe working from home. And I totally support that. And mm-hmm. I think that that's, it's, it's, that's how one of my, one of the ways the business model is changing. Um, it's really exciting. We'll, we'll be offering in-person appointments with precautions like air purifiers and masks, um, but also, always offering telehealth appointments. And if anybody's interested in any of those services, medications, psychotherapy, or psychological assessment, uh, our website is lightheartassociates.com and you'd have just have to go to the getting started tab and fill out a little form expressing your interest. And then we have an intake coordinator, her name is Janelle. Janelle's full-time job is just taking those new client requests and, and getting in contact with them and talking with them a little bit about what they're looking for so that she can make a match with the right provider based on things like what that provider treats and what their availability is because you know clients have sometimes specific scheduling needs or a specific needs as far as a certain kind of problem that they're wanting to address. 
so yeah, we're definitely taking new clients. We're wonderful. Have a lot of availability right now. Plus, like I said, we're growing, bringing on new people. So we'll have lots of availability. That's great. The and I see that you're doing some guided meditation classes as well. Yeah, well, the guided meditation class was something that we started doing right before the pandemic, and it was an in-person class. So it's on hold right now, but uh, I I know that once we're back in person, she'll continue probably to host to host that. Although I don't know how much interest there'll be to doing it in person. I think one of the things we might want to look at is how can we offer these services in Zoom format. Yeah, I was just thinking that that might actually be a really good yeah. thing to be able to offer, you know, remotely. Yeah. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, same same with the just group support in general. You know, having a Zoom support group is probably not a bad idea. No, I think that's actually a fabulous idea. I don't know how you could do it HIPAA, like with HIPAA compliance or whatever, but that and maybe for for what you guys do, it's a little bit different. But that would be so fabulous. I think that just being able to meet people where they are suffering, which is in right. their homes. <laughs> right. Is well, you know, the ideal. ironic thing about HIPAA right now, I mean, that's a, that's a, for those of you who don't know what that means, it's like the federal rule that, in, that requires us to, to, to stringently protect the privacy and security of patient, you know, information, yeah. confidentiality. So uh, right now the, the HHS has put out a, mm, I don't know if it's a message or what, but saying that HIPAA rules are really going to be kind of relaxed right now just because they're more uh, interested in making sure people get the care that they need and that there's that it's not too constrictive for us to try to follow these really strict rules about HIPAA. They'd rather us use Zoom or FaceTime or Skype, um, you know, and get people treated, get people the support they need rather than us saying, I'm sorry, I can't see you because, you know, there's a chance that there could be a hacker. Right. Um, people are, are able to take that risk. Clients and patients are allowed to take that risk with electronic insecurity if they want to. It's a we, choice, as it should be. Yeah. yeah. It's a choice. It's a choice that people have. I mean, we as Lightheart, all of our telehealth appointments are actually um, being done via Microsoft Teams, mm -hmm. which is HIPAA compliant. We were already set up to do that before the pandemic. So our individual therapy sessions and our couples therapy, things that we're doing, you know, with our um, with our therapists right now are already on a HIPAA compliant platform. But if we were to do like a group therapy support or something like that, and we did it on Zoom, it would be okay. You know, we're, there's there's been an allowance made for that. Well, that's fabulous. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Caskell, for chatting with me today. It was really nice to talk to you. Yeah, it's nice to talk to you too, Dr. Shaw. Yeah, and I will um, talk to you soon. Okay. Talk to you later. Well, bye. Take care. Okay, Maybe we'll do too. this again sometime. Okay. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for joining Dr. Caskell and me today. I really hope this helps you navigate the process for your kids and for yourself as we move through this really crazy, turbulent time. You can find out more about Dr. Caskell at lightheartassociates.com. And you can find her on Instagram at Doc Holly Talks. That's D O C H O L L E Y Talks. Stay well, my friends. We'll see you next time.